My name is Pastor Caleb, and I am so excited that you guys decided to uh, make the church at Estrella a part of your week today. Man, we are we are starting a brand new series this week called Anti Heroes, and this series is going to be great. We're going to be in the book of Judges, and we're going to be talking all about what it means to be a hero. So uh, like I kind of mentioned before, um, I'm usually over with the kids and doing kids church, and so every now and again they let me out of here to to hang out with you guys, but I think they don't do it very often because I'm a little bit crazy, and I think that they're afraid I would scare everybody off, all right? So hopefully I don't scare you guys off, but I do want some interaction today with you. So if I ask a question, feel free to shout it out. If you like something, feel free to say like amen or preach it or whatever, like it is okay. Like I want some interaction. There's no wall here, right? I'm not going to like walk around the room because we've got like a camera right there and all the awesome people that are listening and watching online, would they would be like, hey, where'd he go? Did he disappear? And then, you know, that just wouldn't work out. But I want some interaction today. So what is the first thing that you guys think of when you think of the word hero? Superman. What are some other things? Throw them out at me. What do you guys think of when you think of the word hero? Batman, military, strong, what? Powerful. Good. Awesome. Right. So whenever we have this idea of hero, this, this at least in my mind, this, um, this conjures up all these images and all of these things. Maybe something uh, similar to this right here. So maybe that's what you think of when you think of a hero, right? I love that trailer because it, man, when I was growing up, when I thought of a hero, I I thought of a lot of the same things that you guys threw out, right? I was like, oh man, Batman, Superman, you know, um, Wonder Woman, the Justice League, you know, people that are, you know, they have special powers and they're all strong and really good and moral people. And then, you know, as I got a little bit older, I looked around and I was like, man, police officers, right? And those that serve in the military and firefighters and, fi- you know, all of these men and women who put their lives on the line and help us. Doctors, right? All of these people um, are what I thought of when I thought of heroes, right? And, and all these people are, are always like really good and really moral. They always stand for justice and they fight for what is right. You know, and this is what I had in my brain. And also, um, I was also fortunate enough to grow up in church, right? And so whenever I read the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and I read stories of like Noah and how he built this massive ark, and then, uh, you know, his family loaded up, and then all these animals loaded up, and like he saved all of humanity. And then I read, you know, about Moses and how he like parted the Red Sea and like this water that like rushed up and how he did all these cool things and led the Israelites. Man, I, and David, 
you know, bringing down Goliath with a sling. And I was like, man, these guys are heroes. And so um, actually, I, I brought one of my favorite books that I own. It's called the Action Bible. It literally turned the Bible into a comic book. Right. And so like this even like more was like, oh, my gosh, these were real life heroes. You know, they were big. They were tall. They were strong. Right. And that's what I think of when I thought of heroes. I loved it. Um, in fact, um, you know, why wouldn't you want to be like a hero? Because a hero is somebody who is admired for their courage, for their outstanding achievements and noble qualities. That is a hero. But today and, and the, through the rest of this series, we're going to be talking about uh, people that were a little bit different. The heroes that we're talking about um, are, weren't necessarily people that you would want to pattern your lives after, right? Um, the stories that we're talking about, they don't have fuzzy endings. Um, and, and while they got the job done, they were not people that you would want to like when, when we read these stories, you're not going to be like, oh, man, I want to be like this guy because he was so cool. Actually, probably the opposite. So who we're talking about today are anti-heroes, right? And, and anti-heroes, they're the main character of a story, but they don't actually act like a typical hero. You see, anti-heroes are often a little villainous, and an anti-hero might not even be heroic at all. That's an anti-hero. But I love anti-heroes. But uh, as I got older and I started watching more and reading more and I started realizing what the reality of the world was like around me, I understood that anti-heroes are actually probably more real life than actual real life heroes are. And part of the reason that anti-hero stories are so riveting is because they usually involve tragedy of some sort, right? Anti-heroes, um, they... Um, they're succeeding and they're, you know, they're overcoming their weaknesses. But just when you think an anti-hero is about to, you know, like step out of their weakness or overcome their problem or their situation, they make a critical error or a mistake and they usually fall right back into where they were at, if not a little bit worse. And so anti-heroes, even though they, they do some good and they help save the day, ultimately, uh, they usually don't have happy endings. And that actually resonated more with um, real life in my, in my world, right, as I looked around. And, and so today, the story that we're going to look at, we're going to be looking at uh, the people of Israel. And through the book of Judges, um, Israel follows a similar narrative, right? They have moments of victory, and they have moments where they are succeeding, but they always, um, they always somehow end up on the wrong side of things. And because of mistakes that they make, they, they end up failing more than they do succeeding. And so that's kind of the narrative of the book of Judges, right? Um, and before we get into our, our specific judge today, and um, as we set up this series, um, there's some background that we want to get into. Now, I'm a history buff, and I love studying history. I love stories. And the book of Judges comes in a really cool um, time in the Bible. It's really interesting. So we're going to understand some background and where Judges fits into the larger story of the Bible. So I've got a couple of videos that we're going to show that kind of help explain that. The book of Joshua. Let's back up and remember the story so far. So God chose Abraham and then his family became the people of Israel who are then enslaved down in Egypt. 
And so through Moses, God rescued Israel out of Egypt. He made a covenant with them at Mount Sinai, and he brought them through the wilderness. So Israel then camped outside the promised land, and Moses called them to obey God's commands so that they could show all the other nations what God is like. The book of Joshua picks up right after Moses has died, and Israel's ready to enter the land. So the story. All right, so that's the book of Joshua. So our story picks up, the book of Judges drops in right after Joshua. So if you open your Bibles and you look, the book right before, you can go ahead and start finding Judges. It's in the Old Testament, which is in the first part of your Bible. And Judges is placed right after the book of Joshua, right? And so Joshua is a very heroic book. So uh, Israel, they've come out of uh, Egypt, and they're, um, they're going into the promised land, and, um, you know, and God is, is leading them. And um, the book of Joshua is all about conquering and following God, and Israel chasing after God and, and claiming the land that is rightfully theirs, that God promised them years ago. And so the book of Joshua is a very victorious book. I love the book of Joshua. If you want a good read, you should read it. It's very good. But then we come to the book of Judges, and Judges begins where Joshua ends. And the book of Judges begins right at the death of Joshua. So Joshua, very victorious book. Um, Israel is, is entering into the land that is theirs to claim it because God was like, hey, you got this, go and claim it. And then, as all men do, Joshua dies. And so Judges what ha- is what happens to Israel right after Joshua dies. The book of Judges. So remember, after Joshua led the tribes of Israel into the Promised Land, he called them to be faithful to their covenant with God by obeying the commands of the Torah. And if they do this, they will show all the other nations what God is like. So Judges begins with the death of Joshua and basically tells the story of Israel's total failure. The book's name comes from the type of leaders Israel had in this period. Before they had any kings, the tribes were all governed by these judges. Now, don't think of a courtroom. These were regional political military leaders, more like a tribal chieftain. And you need to be warned, the book of Judges is very disturbing and violent. It tells the tragic tale of Israel's moral corruption, of its bad leadership, and basically how they become no different than the Canaanites. But this sad story is also meant to generate hope for the future. And you can see this in how the book's designed. There's a large introduction that sets the stage for Israel's failure as they don't drive out the remaining Canaanites. Then the large main section of the book has stories about the growing corruption of Israel's judges. And the progression here shows how Israel's leaders go from pretty good to okay to bad to worse. The concluding section is really disturbing and shows the corruption of the people of Israel as a whole. So that is the book of Judges, okay? So again, when we talk about Judges, we're not like talking about, hey, somebody with a gavel. We're talking about uh, leaders that God raises up in order to save them, right? So one more important note that I want to get into, um, when we're talking about the nation of Israel, okay? The nation of Israel, they're one nation, but they're made up of 12 different tribes, okay? So one big nation, but 12 different tribes or big families is really what they are, right? And so just in a little bit, when we talk about this tribe or that tribe, we're still talking about the nation of Israel, right? But they're split up into 12 tribes. All right, so um, if you guys have found it by now, we're going to start out and dive into Judges. And we're going to start with chapter 1, verses 1 through 
3, okay? And this is going to kind of give us the setup of what they did right at the very beginning, and then um, their complete, uh, and then the big mistake that they made. And they made one critical error in this passage that we're going to read that sets them up for um, the rest of the book for absolute failure. So I want you guys to, like, turn your brains on and see if you can figure out what the failure was, what the one thing that they did right was, and then the critical error that they made. And I'm going to ask you about it in just a second, all right? So Judges chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. After uh, the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be the first to go up and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord answered, Judah is to go. I have given the land into their hands. Then the men of Judah said to Simeonites, their brothers, come up with us into the territory allotted to us to fight against the Canaanites. We, in turn, will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. All right, so what was the one thing that they did right? What did they do right? Because before we get into all the things that they did wrong and their demise, we got to give credit where credit is due, right? What is the thing that they did right? Anybody have a guess? Anybody? Huh? Yeah, that's exactly right. Good job. Points for you. All right, very good. So uh, that's right. They asked the Lord. The very first thing right out of the gate we see Israel do is they cried out to God. They knew that now that Joshua was dead, and Joshua was their military and their spiritual leader, that they needed to know exactly what to do and how they were to go about conquering this land. They didn't have a leader, and so they knew, hey, you know what? God has led us so far, so let's ask him. And so God answered them. He gave them very specific instructions. He said, listen, Judah, you go first. Now, why did he say Judah? That's significant. You see, Judah was the largest and most powerful tribe of Israel, okay? And so God knew that they were the strongest, so he sent Judah after the biggest chunk of land that had the biggest enemy in it, the Canaanites. And so God told Judah, listen, all you got to do is go and drive them out, and it's yours. But then Judah made their critical mistake. What did Judah do? That was their mistake. You guys catch it? Yeah, that's exactly right. They asked for help. Now, here's the interesting thing. Um, a lot of people will look at this and are like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. They asked for help, right? We as Christians should, like, bond together and, like, ask for our brothers and sisters for help fighting our battles. And that is true, but that's not what God told Judah to do. God told Judah, listen, you got this. My power is sufficient to drive out this enemy. So you go and you claim your land. And so what they did instead is Judah asked one of the smaller and weaker tribes to help them. Because they, uh, they didn't think that God could do it. So the critical error that they made was they doubted the power of God. Right? They doubted the power of God. All they had to do was drive them out. God said, listen, go and claim your inheritance. But they didn't. They doubted the power of God. Now, why, why is this a big deal? Um, we see a few verses later, if you skip down to verse 19, we see what ultimately happens to Judah, okay? It says this, The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country, but they were unable to drive out the people from the plains because they had iron chariots. So right here, we see that their doubt led to their demise. 
Their doubt led to their demise. You see, Judah, they could have driven them out. They could have gone in, and even though they had iron chariots, even though the odds were stacked against them, they could have driven them out. In fact, in Joshua, you see over and over and over again, Israel crumbling enemies before them because Joshua led them in, and um, there's a famous story like Joshua on the walls of Jericho. Um, you know, the Israelites, all they had were like swords, and they were able to like crumble walls and take down this mighty fortified city because the Lord was with them, and they followed instructions. And so Judah, instead of doing exactly what the Lord told them to do, they said, hey, actually, um, we don't think that we could do this on our own, so Simeonites, could you please help us, right? They were doubting the power of God, and that led to to their demise, right? And, and not only that, but um, we're not going to read through all the rest of uh, the first two chapters of Judges, but you'll see uh, there's a pattern. Starting with Judah, um, the rest of the tribes, um, as they go out to try to claim the pieces of their land, one way or another, they all fail. They, they don't fully drive out the enemies that they were supposed to drive out. And it all started with Judah because Judah doubted the power of God. Then the rest of them were like, oh, well, Judah asked for help, so maybe I can do that. And so one by one, the tribes went, and instead of following God's instructions, they either didn't drive them out because they were like, oh, well, they're actually not that bad. They're kind of peaceful people, so maybe we'll just let them stay. To like one tribe legitimately like, oh, we actually just don't even want to deal with them at all, so we'll let them live in the best part of the land. We'll go live up in the hills because we're scared to fight them. Right? And so you see this pattern. Their, their doubt led to their demise. Right? And so why is it a big deal? Why is it a big deal that they let people live with them, these other nations? Why, why does it matter, right? Oh, we should all live in harmony with one another. Right? So why is it a big deal? Um, we should live in harmony with one another, by the way. But um, Judges is a really powerful picture of what God wants to do, um, wants us to do in our lives. You see, these, um, these other nations were symbols of... Um, of idolatry and sin, right? They, they, they were symbolic. They actually existed, but they symbolized the sin and the influence of the world in our lives and what we need to do to get rid of it and what happens when we don't get rid of it and deal with sin in our lives, right? Um, let's ha- uh, read and uh, turn to chapter 2, verses eight, three, 18 through 19. And, it, and it, it's a really powerful picture of what happens when we don't fully do what God asks us to do, all right? So uh, Judges 2, uh, chapters, uh, or verses, uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of Egypt. So uh, they followed and worshipped the various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served the Baals and the Asherahs. So here's what happened. Because they allowed these other nations to live in in and among them, they got comfortable with them there. And then all of a sudden they started looking around and they're like, oh, well, these guys that are my neighbors, they're worshipping this god and that's kind of cool. Or they're eating this food or they're behaving in this way. And yeah, like we've got these Ten Commandments that we're trying to follow, but like I kind of like the way that they're living a little bit better. And so they began to creep farther and farther and farther away from the Lord because of the influence of these other people. And guys, this is a powerful image of what can happen in our own lives, right? So when we become followers of Jesus, when we decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to forsake my old life and I'm going to completely... 
be a new creation in him, what we should do in that moment is forsake all of the sin and uh, the, the ways of the world and the things that we've been living in before. We should put all of that to the side and surrender all of it and do battle with all of the, the pieces um, of our lives and turn it all over to God. All of ourselves. Not, not everything but this little corner, right? We should turn all of it over to God. Because if we don't, that opens the door for those little things that we think are not a big deal but are not turned over to God to completely wreak havoc on the rest of our lives, right? And, and I'm going to sound a bit dramatic here, but I've seen this happen like in, in people in my own life. So follow me for a second, okay? Um, nobody becomes an alcoholic in a day, Right? That doesn't happen. You don't like take a, take a swig of whatever and then I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm like going from not ever having a drink to drinking, you know, uh, like chugging a bottle of Jack Daniels or whatever, right? That doesn't happen in a day, right? You take little steps, you make little decisions, and then all of a sudden you end up in this bad place, right? People who um, embezzle money from their companies, they don't like start their company one day and I'm like, all right, day one out the gate, I'm going to steal a million dollars from these people, right? Um, No, they start with like a dollar here, $10 there, like a shady transaction, then all of a sudden they Take, take themselves down this path and they find themselves in a really bad spot where they're like entrapped in this, um, the, the, these lies and these greed, right? Um, you know, something that, that is a really, uh, is a problem in America that we don't talk about a lot is uh, this problem of pornography, right? People don't get addicted to porn the first time that they look at something, right? It, it starts with uh, like a lingering glance at uh, maybe like an ad, and then, and then you turn it away. Or it starts by instead of like clicking out of a, a, a page, maybe you look at it a little bit longer and, and then you click out of it, right? It, maybe, oh, uh, uh, I can watch that movie. It's okay. I know it's got some stuff in it that's not so good, but I can watch it anyway because I can handle it, right? And all those things, are, they start you on a path of destruction, right? And, and I'm not saying that, you know, anyway, all of these things, they, they, you start here, and where it can end you up is with these things taking over your life, right? And so what judges should cause us to do is take a look at ourselves, take a look at our lives, and say, listen, what part of my life have I not given over to God? Is there something that maybe I know I shouldn't be doing? Maybe the the culture says it's okay. There's no problem with that. It's normal. But you know in your heart, if you're trying to follow Jesus, that's not something you should be engaging in, right? I'm not going to tell you what that is because that's not my job, right? But you know the Holy Spirit will convict you. Like you'll get this little kind of nudge of like, man, ah, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. And the reason that it's a big deal is because that if you don't deal with those things, when they're small things, they become big things. If you don't deal with those things now, they become big later. And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They did not deal with the nations that were around them. They did not follow God's instructions at the beginning. And because of that, it led to them um, turning away from God over and over and over again. That's what happened. And so it's a really, um, it's actually a, a good opportunity for us to hit the pause button real quick and say, man, is there anything in my life that I haven't turned over to God? And no matter how little, 
Because I promise you, even if you think it's a little thing, if, if you feel that God is telling you, man, there's just something that I need to turn over to him, you need to do it because that little thing becomes a big thing. And it might take a long time for it to become a big thing, but it'll eventually become a big thing. All right, let's get back into our story. Okay, so... Um, the, the book of Judges is very cyclical, okay? It follows a pattern. Now, this pattern, a bunch of smart people who have, like, more college education and I think like coming up with really fancy words just for fun, um, they call this cycle the cycle of apostasy, um, which is a cool word, but in my mind, I'm like, apostasy? I don't even know. It sounds like pasta. Am I going to be eating spaghetti? Like, what's, what's the deal, right? But um, in plain English, this is called the sin cycle, okay? So the book of Judges follows um, what we call the sin cycle. I've got a picture of it um, that we can put up on the screen, right? And so as, as we go through the book of Judges, we're going to see that, uh, that Israel falls into these cycles. And every judge represents a different cycle of sin that, uh, that Israel falls into. And, they, and there are different things that, they, that cause them to fall there, but it's the same cycle that we see. Um, it, it, and the cycle is this, okay? Israel is serving the Lord. They're pursuing the Lord. Everything is going great. But then, because of their neighbors, they begin to fall into sin and idolatry, right? And, and as a result of that, they completely turn their backs on God, and God allows them to be enslaved by, and conquered by other nations. And after a while of being conquered and oppressed, uh, the Israelites, they cry out to the Lord for deliverance, right? And God is faithful and delivers Israel. It raises up a judge to deliver Israel and then lead them back towards the Lord. And then every time, um, for as long as the judge lives, Israel follows the Lord until the judge dies. And then it starts all over again, okay? And so that's the pattern. Let's look at Judges chapter 2, verses 18 through 19. All right? This is the cycle. See if you can identify it, okay? Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. See the cycle? And you see this over and over and over again. Actually, this, um, if you look and, and you, you do a, a, a study of the book of Judges, this is like the, the, the verses, the set of verses that they point to. They said, this is Judges in a couple of verses. How awesome is that? Man, I think that that is, that is not good, right? They, they return to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. It's really bad. So that is where we find Israel today, okay? So they have rejected, and they've started, um, they're in the promised land, but they're living in among these other nations, the Canaanites, and they start serving the Canaanites' gods. And so God allows Israel to be taken over and oppressed, and um, they're oppressed, and then they're like, oh my gosh, we're tired of this. And then they have this idea, they're like, oh, I know, um, when we were, like a long time ago, when we were enslaved in Egypt, uh, we cried out to God and he rescued us so maybe he'll do that again and so Israel they uh they cry out to God and God raises up the first 
judge. And this guy was actually, out of all the judges, he was the most heroic. If you guys remember in the video, the judges start as pretty good, and then they gradually spiral down into, like, actually terrible people, (laughs) right, that God uses to save, uh, which is really cool, and we'll get into that later. But this judge, uh, he was the most heroic of all the judges. He was a guy by the name of Othniel. Everybody say Othniel. I feel like you're starting to go to sleep on me, so I'm going to do a little call and response like I do with the kids. Everybody say Othniel. Good. Othniel was God's first judge. Now, I'm a little bit partial to this guy, Othniel, because he is related to the guy I'm named after. All right? So my name's Caleb, right? And I'm named after Caleb in the Bible. All right? And so for those of you who might not be familiar with Caleb in the Bible, and because I don't get to preach much, and because I don't get to preach over Caleb very often, I'm going to tell you the story, okay, of Caleb. So that way you have a little bit of background over Othniel. All right? So who is Caleb? So um, way back when the Israelites were, um, were taken out of Egypt, they were following Moses, um, and Moses actually um, took them to the promised land. And right after they got out of Egypt, they had the opportunity to go into the promised land and claim it as their own before they wandered in the desert for 40 years, okay? So they had the opportunity to just go into the promised land and claim it. And Moses, being the wise guy, he sent spies into the land to see what it was like, right? And to try to get a game plan. And so the spies went in and they all came back. And so uh, 38 of those spies came back and were like, oh my God, there are giants in the land and we can't do it. We're so scared. Let's go back to Egypt. Right? That's legitimately what they said. Okay? And two guys, right, they came back and they were carrying big old grapes on their shoulders. And they were like, guys, look at this food. Oh my gosh, the land is so plentiful and, and we totally got this. Right? And so I really identify with these two guys, who, by the way, were Caleb and Joshua. Joshua, the guy that ended up leading um, Israel earlier, and Caleb, that who na- I'm named after. And they were excited about the food, which I can identify with. They're like, yeah, let's go in and get that food, right? Let's go. This is awesome. And, um, and so Caleb and Joshua were, like, pumped. They're like, let's do this. God's on our side. We totally got this. Plus, we don't want to be missing out on these grapes, all right? Land flowing with milk and honey. Like, let's get it. Like, come on. And so... Um, But Israel decided to side with the majority. And they're like, no, let's get out of here. And so they were scared. And they decided to not enter into the promised land. And as a punishment, God made Israel wander the desert for 40 years until all the people that were scared died. All right? And then God raised up Joshua to go and claim the promised land. Right? And so Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of the um, Israelites that were adults um, who God, who took to the cusp of the promised land, who got to enter in. So that's Caleb. Um, and, and so Othniel was Caleb's nephew. And one more thing I love about Caleb and, and his family is that when God was uh, divvying up the land, right, there, were, uh, there was a certain part of the land that was inherited by, uh, that was inhabited by giants, right? These are the same giants, by the way, that Goliath was a part of, right? David and Goliath, the guy that was like 12 foot tall, he was like as tall as like one of those basketball goals up there, right? Um, so the same people were living in that land, and Caleb was like, give me those guys, I want them. And so uh, God said, okay. And so Caleb took his family and went and slayed the giants and drove them out. And Othniel was a part of that. And so that's Othniel. 
right? That's who our guy is today, all right? And so um, why is it significant that, that Othniel is our first judge? And why is it significant that he was the most heroic of the judges, all right? It's because of his name. And I love names, and I love studying the, the meanings of names. Mine um, either means dog or servant, depending on what language you're in, right? But um, Othniel's name literally means the power of God. Yeah. It means the power of God. Why is this important? Because God is trying to teach us something. You see, the... The first story lays the foundation and helps us understand all the rest of the cycles of sin and all the rest of the stories and judges. But what God is trying to tell us is this. God's power is the only thing that's strong enough to break the cycle of sin. That's what God is trying to tell us with this first judge. See, the, first, the next judges that we're going to be talking about, they've got fun stories that are kind of gross, kind of cool, kind of violent, right? And, and that's what makes it fun. But this first story, in my mind, is one of the most powerful ones because it tells us this. Man, if you want to break out of the cycle of sin, if you find yourself surrounded by enemies, whether, whether you helped, you know, like fall into the trap of the enemy yourself or you just came into it, the only thing powerful enough to rescue from the enemies, the only thing powerful enough to break you out of that cycle of sin and bondage of sin is the, powerful, is the power of God. Yeah, that's right. You can say amen. That's awesome. And it tells us this, right? The only thing powerful enough to break out of the cycle of sin is God. But you can say it another way. God's power is strong enough to break the cycle of sin. So that means if you feel like that you're trapped in a situation or you're trapped in a... Um, in, in a lifestyle or there's something that you feel like you just can't shake or you can't break out of, there is hope for you because God's power is strong enough to break you out of that cycle of sin, whatever it may be. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter how uh, small it is. It doesn't matter how big it is. It doesn't matter if you've been doing it for a short time or you've been living this lie and this lifestyle and you've been struggling with the sin all your life. God's power can break you out of it. He can and he will. All you have to do is cry out to him just like the Israelites cried out to God, rescue me. I'm tired of living in an oppression. I'm tired of this, um, this, this situation that I'm in. Help me, save me. And God raised up a judge and his power broke them out of it. Can I get an amen? Come on. Let's go. Yes. And it is true. He can and he will. And that is such good news because I've heard and I've seen so many people that they feel like, you know, like, oh, I got to get cleaned up before I can come to God. Or, man, I can't go to church because, like, I've been doing this and this and this and this. And God doesn't care about all of that. All he cares about is whether or not you're going to surrender your life to him and surrender to his power so that he can break you out of that sin cycle. Guys, it's so powerful and it's such good news. It's freeing. You don't have to do anything 
to, to get everything, to gain access to this power of God. And God's power will break you out of the sin cycle. I will tell you this, though. You're going to have to do battle with the sin, right? Because they didn't go easy. They still, um, they still had to raise up an army, and they still had to fight and drive out the Canaanites, right? So you're going to have to drive it out. You're going to have to do some work. But when you're doing work against your sin, when you're doing work against your circumstance that is oppressing you, you need to know that God's power is strong enough to get you through it. You just got to surrender to it and don't doubt God's power because if you start doubting the power of God that's when you're gonna lead to your demise all right so what I'm telling you is this God's power is strong enough to break you out of the sin you might have to do battle you will have to do battle with that sin and you might not gain victory immediately right it's not like one day you go to sleep and you've got an addiction or you got a problem the next day you wake up and you're like all right I'm out of it no you're gonna have to do some work you might have to go with some classes you're gonna have to get some people around you to do battle with you but eventually you will win if you've got the power of God on your side if you try to do it alone get out of here it's not going to happen if you try to do it without the power of God or you try to do it with doubting the power of God it's not going to happen but if you trust the power of God and you do battle man you got victory and it is awesome all right now there's one last thing that um I need uh, us to realize about Israel okay and, and it's another really important thing to note okay um at no point does Israel actually repent of their sin. All right? If you go through and you read, they don't actually repent for turning away from God and following these other idols. They just get tired of being oppressed. They're like, uh, I'm tired of feeling the consequences of this. And uh, you know what? I, I decide I'm going to go back to God and following him because that's better than this situation, right? So they weren't actually sorry for turning away from God. They weren't actually, um, th th nothing about them re was repentant. And because they didn't repent, that set them up to fall into another cycle of sin. Right? Because they didn't repent. So that's something that's very important for us to know. All right? God will fight for us and with us and God actually, you know, um, when, we're, when we're following him and we're, you know, we're pursuing him, you know, there are blessings that come with that. But if we're not sorry, if we're not repentant for our sins, that sets us up for failure again. Because that means that, you know, the only reason we're following God is because of what he can give us. And the lifestyle that, you know, he maybe is, is offering us or whatever, we think that is, right? And so if all, the only reason we're following God is because it feels better than not following God, I guarantee you, as soon as a better option comes around, you're going to take it, and you're going to fall right back into sin. Right? So if you're going to follow God, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to repent, and you've got to do battle with them to get them out of your life. You've got to turn and surrender yourself to the power of God. Let him fight your battles for you and with you. Then you will conquer sin, and you won't have to worry about following into the cycle of sin again. All right? So that's the big takeaway from this week. The power of God is the only thing strong enough to break the cycle of sin, and it can break the cycle of sin, right? I want to read Judges um, as we kind of bring this to an end. I want to read Judges chapter 2, verses 18 through 19 again. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies. And as long as the judge lived... For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who, were, who oppressed and afflicted them. 
They followed and uh, worshipped the various gods um, of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him, and they served the Baal and the Asherahs. All right? So check it out. Um, they, they fell right back into the same cycle and even worse. And so next week, we're going to be talking about um, a lying assassin and a fat king. All right? That's their story next week, all right? We're going to be talking about a lion assassin who God used down to uh, bring down an extremely fat king, okay? It's going to be good. But as we leave today, I want to ask you this question, okay? Have I surrendered every area of my life to God? Have you surrendered every area of your life to God? Every part, even the little things. Have you surrendered it to God? All right? And if you haven't, I want to... I want to encourage you, do that today. Because when you surrender your all to God, and you repent of your sins, you start chasing after him, that's when you're going to start seeing victory over those things and areas of your life that you're struggling with. All right? That's when you see victory. That's when you're doing battle with it, that's when you're going to start to succeed. It might not be instantaneous, but you will start to see victory, okay? And I just want to, if you need to talk about anything, um, is there any, if there's anything you want to pray with, um, pray with me or, or one of our uh, other staff over, um, I'm going to be in the back after service. I want to encourage you, man, you don't have to talk to me. You can just, you and God just pray it out. But if you want to talk to somebody, if you need encouragement or help or whatever, just come and talk to us. If you haven't surrendered your life to the Lord to follow him, man, I want to encourage you to do that today because that makes all the difference in the world. We can talk to you about that as well, all right? Um, Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that you have broken the power of sin. And that, that if you're on our side, that there is nothing that can stand in our way. Father, um, I just pray that uh, if there's anybody here who's struggling with, with a sin or, or a lifestyle or something that they can't break out of, I just pray that you would give them the courage to surrender that to you today and that you would, that you would help them um, to, to confess that to, to somebody. That way they, they can bring people alongside of them to start doing battle with it. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for your power and the things that you have done and the things that you will do. And it's in Jesus' powerful name that we pray all these things. Amen.